This is No Stop Lights with Ken Ard. I want to read a paragraph here, uh, and we'll begin. We'll, we'll kind of frame the next 20 minutes or however long it takes. I mean, I could take longer than that. I want to read a paragraph. I want to give American Compass um, some credit here. American Compass has uh, described themselves as the new home for um, American conservatism. We shall see. Who knows where we go from here? But, but there, there are a lot of other debates to have. But, but let's frame the debate. Let's frame this podcast with a, uh, a simple paragraph in a, um, an annual report, 2020 annual report, from American Compass. I'll give them full credit. Uh, I'll read it verbatim. Despite the many serious challenges America faces, the dramatic transformations uh, its economy has undergone, and the once-in-a-generation political realignment underway, the right of center's mainstream institutions were uniformly committed to outdated ideas that long ago ossified in a market fundamentalist uh, dogma. The attitude toward President Trump was this too shall pass. The political aspiration was to return everything to how it was before. With the future of post-Trump conservatism at stake, we needed an institution to step forward with new ideas and foster debates that entrenched groups were more comfortable avoiding. So, so let's let's take that paragraph. And, and some refer to it as Trumpism, uh, America Firster, MAGA, um, to me, it's more of a, but it is a political ideology. It, it's not the traditional political ideology. I love the way they said the market fundamentalist dogma, but I mean, that's kind of an interesting series of words. Um, I, I have argued for, uh, 10 years, maybe that the Republicans needed to understand that things aren't forever. Um, I made some notes to myself. Capitalism, um, I mean, I've read a lot of Adam Smith's writing, economic freedom, I mean, capitalism. To, to, to me, capitalism has a certain uniqueness to it. Um, American capitalism. I mean, let's, 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 I mean, those are my words, but, but stick with me for a second. So American capitalism, to me, the notion of capitalism, I mean, it, it's easy to be dogmatic, about capitalism. I'll get to business and, and corporate America here in a second, but, but it's very easy for someone who has this rigid belief of the free market. Um, the, the, you know, the heavy hand of government, the light hand of government, government intervention, government intrusion, government distortion, government manipulation. Um, and, and, and we can be very dogmatic and fundamentalist in our view about the, um, the government's role as it relates to the free market. The, the point that I would make is Republicans have allowed the heavy hand of government to be as forceful as liberals have. Um, you know, where do you distinguish corporate America and its undue influence on the government, its unfair influence on the government? And when I say influence, I'm talking about distortion and, and manipulation. And um I, I, for about a decade, it felt. Now, once again, I didn't see Donald Trump coming. I mean, I, I would be fundamentally dishonest if I said I saw a real estate tycoon from New York, you know, in his own private jet, supermodel wife, and, you know, as, as narcissistic as they come, would um would, would connect with a group of Americans who, I mean, I, I doubt the rank-and-file Republican Trump voter, but because I think the great mistake Republicans are making is believing that this is a, a brush fire. This is a, 
you know, um, things get back to normal. I'll be biblical. This too shall pass. I don't buy that. I mean, I just don't buy that at all. Um, I think Republicans have to adjust their attitude um, and, and what they stand for. Now, you can still be for capitalism. I mean, you can absolutely be for limited government. Um, but, but I think we've got to accept that our, our nation is beginning to redefine um, certain functionalities of government. So, so let's, let's go to... Uh, let's let's go to this market fundamentalist dogma that we're talking about capitalism what exactly is capitalism um to me and, and these are my words um capitalism it, it, it in essence requires the mutual dependence of capital and labor producing good outcomes i mean you've got you know in, in the american economy in the american model of capitalism you've got capital and you've got labor that generates GDP. I mean, that, that generates productivity in the economy. You can't do it on just labor. You can't do it on just capital. But, but it's somewhere that there's a convergence. There's a merging of, of capital and, and labor. And it has to be mutually beneficial. I mean, the, 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 the capital that the capitalists bring to the table, the labor that the working class bring to the table, have to mutually benefit. Or you begin to have issues like income inequality. And, 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 I, and I think you've got to be very dogmatic. And I think we've got to be careful to be as fundamentalist about the free market as we've historically um, been. So let's take income inequality. Let's take my definition of what I, I – mean, I understand what Adam Smith said, and I understand economic freedom, and I understand, you know, you better be careful allowing government to do X or government to do Y because before you know it, government will – consume or assume a larger role and responsibility in the marketplace than than ideologically than ideological conservatives are comfortable with. No, no question about that. And I'm not arguing for a bigger government. I'm not arguing for um, a more intrusive government. I would probably argue um, for for conservative activism, if we want to call it that. I mean if we're going to be if if conservatives are going to be in charge of government, what are its action plans? Uh, J.D. Vance, senator from Ohio, but basically says almost redundantly that, that Republicans have to understand the debate of big and small government is done. I mean, that's over. We're north of $6 trillion a year in federal spending. So, so to romance about, you know, limited government, getting back to the good old days that Jefferson talked about, you know, in a limited government and states having the authority to set budgets and not depending on the federal government, but that, that train has left the barn. That horse has left the station. Kind of an inside joke here at, um, at no stoplights. I think you get what I mean. I mean, obviously, I know the train leaves the station or the horse leaves the, the barn. But we, um, we tend to screw things up around here, and we laugh at ourselves when we screw things up. So that, that's kind of, a, um, kind of an inside joke. But, 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 but let, let, let's, let's say J.D. Vance is right, that the – if, if, if the American compass is right and the attitude toward President Trump by the market fundamentalists, what I'd call the neoconservatives, um, if they believed that this too shall pass and everything would return to how it was before Trump gets here, because I think Trump's a manifestation. I mean, Trump's not a movement leader. I mean, he's a political anomaly. He's a, a political unicorn. He's a wrecking ball. He's a... I mean, he's a lot of shit that a lot of people don't like, and I get that. I mean, I'm certainly aware of that. And does some things I don't care much for, 
but but I like the fact that he's beginning to challenge some of the cultural or some of the political norms that Republicans have historically believed in when their when, when their eyes show them something different. In other words, American capitalism has worked. Have you been to rural America lately? I mean, have you seen the manufacturing jobs that have left here? Because what has happened, and I go back to the definition that I have of um, of healthy capitalism, it, it requires the mutual dependence of capital and labor producing good outcomes. So, so all of a sudden, the capital says, we don't care much about the labor, and they begin this labor arbitrage, and they go places where it's a lot cheaper to make goods. That, that's not good for the country. And, and, and the American political system is not there to protect capital, capital from labor. It's not there to protect labor from capital. But I think fundamentally we have to ask ourselves as conservatives, is it there to foster or nurture this mutually beneficial relationship between um, a country's capital and its capitalist and free markets and its labor? And I think the American political system, the GOP in particular, have distorted the relationship to the advantage of capital to a point where labor feels offended. And I mean that, that's, that's kind of a complicated argument for saying the working class is getting screwed and too few people are making too much money. That sounds like Bernie Sanders. I mean, that really and truly sounds like, like Bernie Sanders. And some of my conservative friends look at me with cross eyes when I say, what? Well, I mean, let's go back to 16. There was a percentage of the electorate. Not, not, I mean, it's, 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 not a, it's not a huge percentage, but it's significant enough to pay attention to that the day before the 16 election, their top two choices were Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. I mean, Bernie Sanders is a self-avowed socialist. Donald Trump is a, could we say, moderately conservative pro-business candidate for president in 16. I mean, he kind of ran on business guy. You know, the, the drain the swamp, uh, the game is rigged. Bernie Sanders basically said some of the th- same things. I mean, obviously, they have a different approach and attitude of how to get to a better place. But I would argue that whether Sanders said it verbatim, whether Trump said it verbatim, they were arguing that the American iteration of capitalism today has been unduly influenced by capital by, by, by the capital that this this mutually beneficial arrangement or, or mutually beneficial dependence that capital has on labor, labor has on capital, had become so one-sided that that the labor was looking for an alternative. I mean, if you are a working American and you look at, you know, uh, and I'm not saying America sucks. I'm not saying the American way of life sucks. I'm certainly, I'm not suggesting that. But if you looked at our two parties and their governing philosophies and their governing Priorities. I think it's pretty easy to say, wow, they've really favored certain groups over, over other groups. And, you know, I've, I've said provocatively that, that a lot of Republicans are going to have to accept the fact that we're a bit anti-corporate America today. And, and I, you know, I see the puzzle, the, the kind of, kind of the puzzle on, on a Republican's face when I, what, we're, we're what? I mean, we would never be anti-corporate America. I mean, corporate America employs a lot of people. Corporate America pays a lot of taxes. Corporate America makes a lot of goods that we consume. Fair enough. The, the point I'm trying to make is in this, in this relationship between capital and labor, one side has gotten the advantage of the other side, and I think the body politic has picked winners and losers. We like to say, 
you know, I don't want my government to pick winners and losers. Philosophically and ideology, that's kind of what conservatives stand for. I mean, I want the marketplace to dictate winners and losers. Now, now it can be dogmatic. It can get to a point where, I mean, the, the, the hyper-pure capitalist, I mean, you know, that that's, uh, I don't want to say it's an anarchist, but it kind of borders on that. You know, damn the guardrails, damn the regulations, damn the rules. I mean, let the cowboys, you know, kind of survival of the fittest, the strongest survive. I mean, to some degree, that's an interesting economic experiment. But when you implement a system of government, that system of government has a responsibility to, to govern. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean pick winners and losers. And, and I love it when the modern day, and, I, and I'll say this, the, the never Trump. You know, the, um, the traditional neoconservative movement in America. I'm talking about um, largely the people that subscribe to the Wall Street Journal, the National Review, the former Weekly Standard. They read everything George Will has to say. Um, William Buckley uh, would have been one of their heroes. Um, they, they, they've kind of, George H.W. Bush and some of the neoconservative uh, movement, that, that would be, I don't want to say they worship at the altar of, but their, their, their politics are motivated and moved um, by that mindset. I mean, it led to globalism. I mean, it led to a global economy. You know, it's easy to say as a conservative, well, free trade is an expression of freedom as it relates to capitalism. I, I, I don't buy that. I, I think globalism has failed the American worker. And I think globalism has failed the American worker because government had such a distortion in the marketplace, government favored conservatives in government in the name of unfettered capitalism favored this, um, this arrangement that is required to generate GDP growth. I mean, once again, capital can't do it without labor. Labor can't do it without capital, but, but they're got to be mutually beneficial one to another. And when we get to a point where it looks like one is so advancing at such a higher rate, than the other, return on capital, return on investment. Once again, labor arbitrages and NAFTA and trade deals. Um, do we really believe that American politicians have made a trade deal in the last 50 years that advantaged American labor or American capital? Uh, but let's think about from NAFTA, GATT, TPP. I mean, name your trade deal. Do you really believe that the body politic acted on behalf of the American worker? And I'm talking about the laborer or American capital. One can't do without the other, but what, what, what our government has decided to do is say, okay, um, the donor class, here we go, the donor class, we're stepping on toes now, that the donor class are not the laborers. I mean, how many rank-and-file workers at a factory or a plant or, or, a, or a hardware store, for that matter, how many of those have written checks in the name of supporting a candidate, whether a Republican or, or a Democrat? Um, and, and let's go to Wall Street. Let's go to corporate America. Let's go to Citizens United. I mean, I, you know, we, we talk a little bit about Citizens United as conservatives. I certainly understand the legal premise of which the decision was made. I think it was a founded decision, the First Amendment. I mean, I think John Roberts was, I mean, I think he nailed it from a legal theorist as to why, and a Supreme Court justice, doesn't matter what a legal theorist matter, uh, thinks, it matters a lot what the Chief Justice of the U.S. Supreme Court thinks in, in ruling on Citizens United. But if you really think about it, Citizens United gave a distinct advantage to the capital part of the equation. All of a sudden, corporations can make unlimited donations uh, in, in the dark of night. Do, do, really, do we really believe that, they, um, that when, when capitalists gain advantage in NAFTA, GATT, TPP, 
that they're making contributions to political candidates um, trying to right or wrong, trying to say, okay, we got the best of that deal. Now let's settle that. No. I mean, it, capitalism requires you to be greedy to some degree. It requires you to be aggressive in, uh, in pursuit of profit. But, but, but I, I think conservatives need to understand now, and I'm not saying capitalism has failed. I mean, I'm certainly not insinuating for a second because there's no other economic theory that has done for humankind what capitalism has. I mean, there, there is no economic theory that man has ever come up with that has lifted poor people into the middle class, middle class into the upper class, and upper class into the um, extremely wealthy. I mean, it is the greatest economic model that man has ever known. But it still needs tweaking, and, and it still needs tinkering with. Why? I mean, it, when you talk about capitalism as an economic theory, you, you got to kind of agree that, you know, mankind becomes a part of that equation. And they bring their fallacies and their frailties and their greed and their, their inhibitions. I mean, they bring a lot of things to the table. So when you say capitalism, you're not talking about a, a, an economic theory exclusive of human beings who operate by a lot of different motivations. Uh, remember the old Gordon Gecko, greed is good? Uh, uh, to, to a certain degree, it is, until it's not. And, and I think Trump is a representation. And I think America first is a, I, I, it's a manifestation of a lot of things. But at the end of the day, it is an awakening of the American middle class. And, and, and once again, I doubt very seriously the majority of, of American middle class workers read the National Review. I doubt they read the Wall Street Journal. They've lived a lot of what has been written in the pages of those conservative magazines that have just just reinforced and and the word of the day is dog dogmatically reinforced this 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 market fundamentalism that I think has failed to secure outcomes for average everyday Americans. And when Trump comes along and says drain the swamp, the game is rigged. I don't think they think of conservative activism. I don't think they, 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 they scratch their head and say, hey, man, you know, I, I'm voting for Trump because I believe that capital has gotten the better of labor when it comes to this arrangement that, that creates, you know, productive or productivity in our, in our economy. But, um, but, but you know, we, we talk about these great debates in America today, and we're having a great debate about who the president should be. We've got a Republican primary. They're trying to stop the Democrats from having a primary because their guy's a bit a bit out of it. I'll just say that um, when your front runner is is eighty some odd years old, somewhat senile. I want to be kind here. Let, let's let's be kind. Um, in apparent cognitive decline, uh, you, you got a you got kind of a conspiracy theorist that is garnering about twenty percent of the vote. But I still believe the most interesting debate in American politics today is in the Republican primary, and it's those who are tussling or coming to grips with or trying to understand better this economic model that is going to be fundamentally different than what Republicans have ascribed to for about two generations. Um, is it a fundamental reset? I think it is. Um, is the post-war, the, excuse me, is the post-Trump conservatism at stake here? I think it is. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think we forsake conservatism, um, but the institutionalization of conservative, that's probably a better way to say it. We, we've kind of, we, we, we've taken uh, uh, uh a political ideology, and we've almost institutionalized it to a point that it's think tankish or bust. I mean, you know, when you read some of these conservative thinkers, uh, that what they say makes a lot of sense in theory. It makes a lot of sense when you're at a uh, at a think tank, 
And the real, what did the great philosopher Mike Tyson say? Everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Well, I think the American working class have been punched in the mouth. And I don't think they're interested in political theories. I don't think they're interested in dogma or market fundamentalism or, uh, you know, the animal spirit. Some of the, that, that's kind of what I do. That's what we do who are, but if you're watching the podcast, you, you probably have a little more interest in the world of American politics uh, than most do. But, but, but I, I just think that as we struggle moving forward, um, there, there are a lot of Trump voters who believe in the personality of Donald Trump. I mean, nobody else can do what Trump does except Trump. I don't trust DeSantis to do it. I don't trust uh, Chris Christie to do it. I don't trust Nikki Haley to do it. I don't trust Tim Scott to do it. But, but what do you trust them not to do? See, I think that's a pivotal question we need to ask ourselves. And I'm not saying vote for Trump. I'm not saying don't vote for Trump. I'm not saying vote for DeSantis. Don't vote for DeSantis. Well, what I'm arguing is Trump has broken the mold. I mean, there, there's no doubt. This is exactly right. Um, the attitude toward President Trump was this too shall pass, and the political aspiration was to return everything to how it was before. One in four Republicans desire for that. Three in four doesn't. Three beats one every time. I mean, the, the Republican Party, the, the let me back up. The rank-and-file voter in the Republican Party have made their mind up that this is a fundamental reset, that we want something different than what we've had for the past 30 or 40 years. I mean, there's a reason the majority of workers now identify as Republicans. I mean, the Democrats have become kind of elitist, coastal, uh, you know, a, a little, little bit of a, um, I mean, how many Carol King concerts can you go to? I, I think Chris... Uh, I'm trying to think of his name, Chris uh, Matthews. Matthews. Yeah, Chris Matthews of MSNBC. We interviewed uh, him one day on our radio show when he said, you know, uh, he gets disgusted by, you know, the um, the ambitions of liberalism at times. And I think he referred to how many damn Carol King <laughs> benefit concerts can we go to uh, to make the world a better place? But but I, I just think as we as we work through the summer and we get to the fall of the year, it, it, it's, it, it's important to understand what we're debating. What are we arguing about? We're, we're not arguing about um, a larger-than-life personality. We're not arguing about, you know, an indictment, an arraignment, a potential, you know, wherever the trial leads. I think when you look at Trump, you see frustration. I think you, you see kind of a voter revolution in full swing here. But I think the most important thing we can ask ourselves, if you're thoughtful about these things, if you genuinely care about intellectual underpinning of a political movement because at its core populism is not a coherent governing philosophy it is an unbelievably powerful political energy i mean it, it will shape for a while whatever is happening but it eventually burns out i mean there has to be a doctrine or an agenda or a platform or a governing philosophy that follows this this uh, this upheaval and, and and once again i think that it's i mean it is premised on capitalism but it's, it's a fairer model of capitalism. It's a, it's a capitalism that, that has, um, has as much consideration for the labor component as it does the capital component. And, and I do believe that, you know, and this is a bit struggling to say, I think Republicans have to adopt a position of not anti-corporate America, but anti the undue influence that corporate America has had in distorting, manipulating, advantaging themselves, lobbying government, um, you know, the donor class are largely in corporate America, 
Uh, it's not just one or two or three companies. It's hundreds of companies that kind of drive the train, direct policy, one direction or another. And, and for too long, the American political system has been motivated by advantaging capital over labor. And, and I, I just think we, you know, the, the, the conservative activism that I'm talking about has to reward uh, the American worker. It has to be mutually beneficial. I mean, you can't give the worker more than their fair share, but, but you've got to give them a fair share. And when, uh, when trade policy is adopted, when, when, when legislators vote for or against free trade, I think you've got to think about these, um, these labor arbitrages that happen, um, you know, the, 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 the unfair competition that the American worker has. Uh, again, I mean, China would be the obvious offender um, to this. But, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, as, as, as we begin to make our minds up about who our choice is, in the Republican primary, I mean, the Democrats aren't talking about this. I mean, it's more, you know, gender dysphoria and I mean, I mean, some of the crazy shit they're talking about is, is beyond me, but it is, it is what it is. I think we say that word on a podcast, but not, um, not, not on the radio and I'm careful about, okay, I'm on the podcast and not the radio. So I can, I can say that it makes me feel a bit manly uh, when I, when I say that. <laughs> Don't ever get that mixed up. Yeah, I can't get yeah. that mixed up. You won't, you won't let me get that mixed up, but, but no, as, as we begin to sort through these, um, these decisions about who is the best representative of the Republican Party? I, I don't think we just need to think about who the best representative are. I think we need to think about, you know, I mean, it's, it's easy to look for the traditional right of center consensus candidate. Historically, that's what we've done until 16. I mean, we stepped into the abyss. We did something that nobody thought we would ever do. We, um, we forsake or for, uh, what am I saying? Not forsook. I mean, that can't be a word. Uh, that's, that's too far out there. I mean, I, even I don't declare forsook a word, and, and, I, and I'll do. No, I mean, when, when, when we think about these, these economic principles that we so believe in and have been a bit dogmatic about, I think we've got to kind of, kind of step away from that and say, look, um, the, the, the left is known to be politically active and activist, and, 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 you know, kind of generating incomes that they, and I'm talking about entitlements and welfare programs and, you know, uh, making sure everybody finishes the race at the same time. I mean, they've made their mind up that that's what they are. I mean, they're, they're, it's a socialist movement within the Republic, excuse me, within the Democrat Party that is in competition with this populist movement in the, uh, in the Republican Party. And I, I would never in a million years tell you who to vote for, who to vote against, why to vote for him, why not to vote for her. But, but I do believe that the next step in this political movement is intellectual underpinning. And I think at the core of that intellectual underpinning is can we find a system of capitalism that is mutually beneficial to capital and labor? I want to thank our sponsors. Carolina Bank serves communities throughout Northeastern South Carolina, offering a wide range of services to meet every personal or business need from straightforward accounts to complex finances, they're prepared to help you reach your financial goals. Carolina Bank, banking on tradition since 1936. Member FDIC Schofields, Ace Hardware, your one-stop shop for all hardware, paint and lawn and garden needs, plus all things sporting goods, including firearms, safes, clothing, footwear, and more. Pepsi of Florence represent the entire product line of PepsiCo, one of the world's leading food and beverage companies, Pepsi of Florence. Also serve brands from other great companies such as Dr. Pepper, Canada Dry, Lipton Tea, Gatorade, and various regional brands. Mickey Finn's largest South Carolina liquor wholesaler serving every county in the state. Largest bourbon 
selection statewide. They ship wines to 43 states, opening soon. A new beverage warehouse across from Bucky's on I-95 in Florence. They support USC athletics, including Williams Bryce and Colonial Life Arena. Marlboro PD Electric Co-op, if you're in big business and looking for an industrial park in the south to build your new plant, consider Marlboro PD Electric Co-op's new PD Commerce Center, uh, an industrial park located at the I-95 exit in Florence, South Carolina. Check it out at mpdccoop or pdec.com. <laughs> 